This episode of Tomorrow with Joshua Topolsky is brought to you by Nadex, binary options trading. Say you think the markets are going up. You can go to nadex.com and make a trade on that. You're not buying stock. You're trading on where you think the price will be by a certain time. Trade the most popular financial markets with thousands of short-term contracts listed daily. Go to nadex.com and get started trading binary options. That's N-A-D-E-X.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. Hey, and welcome to Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. Today on the podcast, we'll discuss the mashed potato, George Washington flossing, and cypherpunks. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com and enter offer code Joshua at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. My guest today is Josh, or Joshua Behrman. Uh, He is a writer. He is a, a sensitive human being. (laughs) <laughs> Josh, Josh, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Is there another? Would you say there's another thing that you would you put on to the? He's a writer, and my business card says writer, comma sensitive human being. So <laughs> That's you right. Nailed so, it. So I kind of got it. You produced. You produce things. I have. Well, yes. Anything. I mean, I I didn't produce that movie, mm. but um, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I have been a producer on other things that have yet to ever to yet, yet to get made. Been, I have in my notes here, there's a, a a documentary called The King of Kong. Oh, yes. I was a producer on King of Kong. Contributing producer. That's me. Okay, so you did produce that movie. Yes. Okay. I thought you were talking about Argo. No, but why don't we just get into it? Clearly, you want to talk about Argo. If you don't know Josh's work, uh, you probably have seen his work. He is the man. He wrote the story that the film Argo was based on. Uh, he's also done some great feature writing. Coronado High was a piece that he did for GQ and The Atavist, uh, I think, what, about a year ago? Two years ago Two, now. is it that has been Almost, that long? yeah. Um, it makes me feel very old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and most recently, you published a piece in Wired uh, about the backstory of the inside story of Silk Road, the creation of Silk Road and, and beyond, um, which I have read most of the first part of. <laughs> it's very long. You it's haven't very- even gotten to the cliffhanger? I haven't gotten to the cliffhanger yet, oh but it's a, it's a two-part. I was wondering why you're not on the actual edge of your seat. I, I'm, <laughs> you pretty, I'm actually pretty close. Uh, the seat is, frankly, I don't like leaning back in it. But anyhow, uh, it's a it's a, it's a crazy. I mean, it's 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 a the Silk Road story, which I do want to talk about. I mean, it's intense and it's detailed. And I'm I I was reading it and I was thinking, presumably, if you're listening to this, you know uh, what Silk Road is. If you don't. I shouldn't have to explain it, but why don't you, Josh, <laughs> since you just wrote the definitive piece on Silk Road and the birth of Silk Road, um, wh- how would you describe it to somebody if you were just, uh, you know, 
walking well, down the street and somebody was like, hey, I've heard about Silk Road. Yeah, since I sort of have to describe it a lot now, right, because I've been working on it for three, four, five, six months, whatever. It's like yeah. a like a PhD student where you're like, you just have like a business card where you have a thesis printed on it so you don't have to explain it to everybody. Writer, sensitive <laughs> human, and then the explanation of what Silk Road yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yeah. it was a clandestine Amazon for criminal goods and services. That's pretty good. But it was basically what it was. So, right, it was a... Uh, you know, user vendor marketplace um, that was uh, using the Tor protocol. And so uh, what the creator of Silk Road did was figure out, well, okay, listen, so now we can we can have a marketplace that's entirely outside of the jurisdiction, not jurisdiction, let's say, but the control of the government, and we can have anonymity with the marketplace, the site itself, and then with the transactions using Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency, and um, uh, or digital currency, I sure, suppose, if you sure. don't want to be pejorative about it. Yeah, please. Can and, you keep it? Can you keep your <laughs> pejorative bullshit? Well, the out thing of is, it's podcast? not so crypto that currency because, no, in fact, Bitcoin <laughs> has the blockchain where you can see all the transactions. But um, I mean, that's actually part of the that's part of the design of of Bitcoin. But in any case, so it allows so combining Bitcoin with Tor allowed for the creation of this sort of Amazon for criminal goods and services and there were, you know, vendors with vendor profiles and, you know, just like on Amazon there was like ratings and stars and yeah. like five stars, great MDMA, you know, or like fine wisp of smoke on this kind bud or whatever. Yeah. And you could see what yeah. you were ordering and you yeah. would order it and it would show up in the mail and it was a very efficient system and actually worked very well. Did you ever use it? No, I didn't. I didn't know about it till it was I, done. I, I actually remember right before the story started, right before this thing became a thing, it had been, I can't remember what happened, but it had been raised as a topic of conversation. Uh, and we were like, oh, we got to do it. I was at The Verge. And we were like, we got to do a feature. We got to do a story on this. Mm-hmm. And like a week later. Dude gets busted. In I the think library. it was like you know maybe I think I don't know if Adrian Adrian wrote a, Adrian Chen wrote a piece. Oh, on when it. his first Gawker piece, you yeah. mean that kind of blew it up. I think that was it was like a week before that. Oh yeah, <laughs> so Gawker beat you guys, yeah, I man. Know, I know, <laughs> just one of many t- many horrible uh, defeats <laughs> we suffered at the hands of Gawker media <laughs> of Adrian and in particular. Adrian, and Adrian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but uh, so this thing was. I mean, it was it, it was very very like it, it was whispered. It was very underground. Uh, and obviously it was very illegal. Mm-hmm. I mean, or was it? Think about it, man. <laughs> no, it was illegal. Uh, <laughs> but I guess by your laws, you know, but what are those? Right. Just some words on a piece of paper. Right. Yeah. But yeah, by Not decree. Not by the laws of humanity. Right. Okay. Yeah, by decree with your fiat currency. Um, but the Well, but, I mean, this was part of the animating idea of, of Silk Road, which we're being very glib about, which is a little bit, you know, <laughs> a little bit more serious, Yeah, uh, no, which no. is that uh, – so the creator of Silk Road, uh, which was uh, for some time was unknown, but there was a system administrator who was kind of the leading voice who then took on a handle yeah. named Dread – which was Dread Pirate Roberts – uh, and there was sort of some fanfare around that, and then there. So then, essentially, Dread Pirate Roberts, who went by the sort of shortened moniker DPR, was the leader, and it was clear that he was the proprietor of the site, or this handle was, and had uh, created the site. And so, part of the idea was a, sort of a libertarian, like political polemic, where right. um, the was site like was super just, doctrinaire libertarianism. The site was also, in a way, was just a product of the do- of that doctrine. It was sort of yeah. meant to represent 
Right. It was like, well, yeah. it's kind of a statement against the war on drugs from the liberal uh, libertarian perspective, which is, you know, the government is a sort of coercive uh, monopoly on violence, right? And that any economic transaction outside of the system is a, you know, step towards freedom. Right. Uh, and, <clears throat> you know, that was the vocabulary of the site. And so um, I don't know if all the users were that into it. You know, <laughs> some think, of them were. I think a lot of them were probably just trying to get. Some acid. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I really need ecstasy for the rave I'm going to this weekend. Yeah. And they had a, they had a page through, a presumably, this huge, yeah. some sort of political monologue or whatever. <laughs> screed. Yeah. No, uh, they, were, they were very lengthy, very articulate, pretty well reasoned yeah, and yeah. argued and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, and in fact, a lot of people, I knew people who, after the fact, and I would tell people, I work on the story, and they're like, oh, yeah, man, I got some good... You know, MDMA from that. Anybody thing. you'd like to name? <laughs> <laughs> now they'll be they'll be arrested eventually. Really? You think they're going to round up all the people who also use? No, I mean they have been. You know, since well, this is getting ahead of ourselves, but they no, you know I mean, got law enforcement got a hold of the server Spoiler and so alert. you can start to piece together who a lot of the big vendors are. So they've been a lot of the vendors have gotten busted. Um, and so, and at some point, we discover. I mean, in, in the real world, who. Uh, Dread Pirate Roberts is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you talk about this character at all? Again, I haven't read part two. I have followed the case. Yeah. I mean, it's out there, right? The guy was convicted, although the sentencing is coming up. Yeah. Really death, soon. He'll get death? Like, <laughs> are, they, are they doing the electric no. chair for the for the uh, proprietor of Silk Road? No, I think they're just give him like a whole lot of MDMA. <laughs> they're like, it's like when you get Send him to Rainbow Tribe 3. You get, smoking, you get they're like, your parents put you in the closet and they're like, smoke this whole pack. <laughs> right. I don't know if this actually happens. This right. is like an urban legend about, I think, parenting. Yeah, right. I don't know if it actually happens. Anyhow. So we were talking about the identity of the Dread Pirate Roberts. Right. Okay, so maybe I'll back up and just lay out the whole thing. Please right? do. Please so do. you've got the Silk Road. It is this sort of hidden but also public site. It's hidden in the sense that it's public in the sense, let's say, that anybody can go there. It's out in the open. Everybody knows about it. Law enforcement knows about it. But it's hidden because it's using Tor, and so... The site itself can't be identified. Users can't be identified. So it's operating with impunity for you know several years, right? Mm-hmm. Over, uh, its lifespan was almost three years. And sorry, go ahead. Well, okay, okay yeah. So Tor. Uh-huh. Let me let me explain because there's a sudden pause. I want our listeners to understand what just happened. Magnus, my producer, <laughs> who's from Sweden, uh, <laughs> interrupted the conversation with a question. The question was, "Can you explain Tor?" Yeah, go on. Hold on, I'm just drinking this just Dr. Having, Pepper and Jameson. How is how is the Dr. Pepper and Jameson? Is you it mean good? the outpatient? Yeah, yeah. Josh also <laughs> just uh, randomly coined a new uh, drink. He created a new drink here, which is do- Dr. Pepper and uh, Jameson, which is which is whiskey. Yeah, uh, is that it's not rye? No, it's not. It's Scotch. Scotch whiskey, whiskey? Right? is that right? I don't know. Magnus, don't know. do you know? Irish whiskey. Irish whiskey. Okay, that's good. Yeah, right, 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 right. But um, and you called it the outpatient. Yeah. Which is a great name. Do you know why you call it the outpatient? No. Well, because of Dr. Pepper. It's like the doctor is going to see (laughs) you. The doctor is is out. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, Okay. That's good. Um, That's really good. It's too good for its own good. Yeah, that's right. We should. Well, we'll still start a menu. The Tomorrowland. Wait, what's the podcast called? (laughs) 
Tomorrow, just tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow well, tomorrow's the movie. I'm, I'm so not, excited. I know. I know that you know George Clooney, so you're probably yeah. just thinking about him a uh, lot. Yeah. But I was like, not, oh, what are you up to? He's like, oh, texting me. Like, oh do you man, text, do you text with Clooney? No. <laughs> no. I should say. I should say. I should take a break now and say that Josh and I have known each other for a little while, and and actually, I did a pilot for TV for an FX, oh, right. an FX show that never happened. No. But uh, but Josh was my guest. On That's the show, right. and we talked about. I don't want to go back into this, but nobody's seen it, so I feel like I should talk about it. Josh uh, introduced me to something I'd never heard of before, which is which is Clunetang. Oh Jesus! <laughs> I know. Which is which is. Oh God! It's, it's so fa- unseemly. It's, it's unseemly. And, 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 and after it's the fa- fact, I was like, I shouldn't have talked you about that. On no, the television. I bring it up again because I thought it was a very. But but what it was is it's, all it is is here's the, so. I wrote the story in Wired in 2007, which is about the CIA mission that is depicted in Argo. Where Tony Mendez, uh, who was in the forgery and authentication department of the CIA, <laughs> which means disguise yeah. um, and deception operations, snuck these uh, you know guys who had escaped from the embassy, these hostage uh, escapees from the embassy out of the country. Yeah, and so I wrote the story, and I was like, you know what, this would be pretty cool if it could be a movie. With uh, George Clooney, and uh, <laughs> you, thought, you thought that I like thought that yeah. I said it out loud actually yeah. to my friend. I was like, "This would be great for old Clooney." And then uh, the next day, uh, Clooney called and was like, "I love this." Yeah, <laughs> and uh, that is usually how it happens. I and hear. so yeah, I was like one of a thousand people probably saying like in a coffee shop did in Clooney, LA. Did Clooney actually? So first off, is there any truth to the thing that you just said? That you were like, this would be a great movie with George Clooney. No, it's and completely he, true. And then he called the next day. Yeah. But had you heard that he was interested prior to that? Well, I'm alighting of detail. <laughs> yeah, that's which is why I'm curious because it seems fortuitous, which, which is and bizarre that you would just. Well, randomly... I, mean, well I mean, it's not it's not so dramatic a detail. So it's you know just that, that Clooney, I had, but Clooney was sniffing around. No, I have uh, no, <laughs> I no, I as just... he's wont to do, sniffing around. <laughs> yeah, it's like a like a like a bloodhound. Yeah. No, I the the I mean, look, I I at that time I had worked on King of Kong, the yeah, documentary, the film. Uh, which had resulted in me having an agent, which at the a time did a Hollywood agent. Hollywood agent. Yeah. So, but you know, like a film, to, like a books, like a books to film type of person, right? So when I finished the story, this story in Wired, I Argo. had the proof. The Argo story. Uh, yeah, at that time it wasn't called Argo. No, it wasn't. What was the name? What was the... Uh, Actually, it's kind of a dumb title. It's called like The Great Escape from Tehran or something. Uh, I that could have been... Just think about how easily that could have been ignored. I had a better title. What I was it? What was I don't it? remember. I don't remember. Well, it could have been that good. Then. Um, I think it was called like Washington is Hollywood for Ugly People. <laughs> 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 That's very good. It's well, abstract. Uh, it's extremely yeah. abstract. Yeah, well, I, it's all about know, it's about symmetry. I think I know why they passed. <laughs> <laughs> Not that the other headline is better, but I can understand why the first one wouldn't have flown. I I gotta say I like that they chose Argo, which is a confusing title for the marketing people. But um, they were like, maybe people will think it's a science fiction film, right? Whole exactly. different audience. Yeah. Anyhow. So I uh, I had an agent because I had worked on King of Kong and you have to conclude contracts, which was worth no money, but it was definitely fun making King of Kong. Right. And so then I wrote the, wrote the story. I sent it to my agent and she was like, oh, she's like a real agent, right? So she could send it to Clooney, et cetera. Yeah, she's like, I'll get this in So she Clooney. did and yeah. then he responded immediately. And so that's why it was he such loved, a quick turnaround. He loved it. He read it and he and his partner, Grant Hesloff, who produces with him. They wrote together Good Night and Good Luck, their creative team. Yeah. They read it and liked it immediately. So then 
that so, so back to Clunetang. Yeah. Oh right. So then when that happened, <laughs> sorry, you know, this is so all. Then, I mean, this is gripping. This is great inside, inside the you know, behind the behind the music <laughs> yeah, stuff. But yeah. But. yeah. So then I like missed my agent's call, but I called her back. No. So I um, <laughs> just we just spent an hour and a half on the just the getting to the actual meeting. Uh, so a friend of mine, I don't even remember who this was. But then I was like, you know, all excited to talk about like, man, you know, George Clooney. And somebody's like, oh, you're going to get so much Clooney. <laughs> Actually, I don't even think it was directed at me yeah. because it was just in general. It's like, oh, no, man, it's all way, about the Clooney. Right. It's all about the Clooney. The way I – which is an offensive term. Can we just say that it's a – it's a uh, chauvinistic. It's offensive to everybody. It's offensive to George, <laughs> to men, to women, to George Clooney. Yeah. But the idea is the way you described it to me is that like when it comes to Clo- <laughs> when it comes to George Clooney, who's a very handsome man. Yeah. And very successful. Yeah. It's all moot now because he's married. So this, this is all Clooney. not not applicable. But yeah. in, in this at this time, the yeah. unmarried the unmarried George yeah. Clooney, who Most was eligible. Bachelor alive, yeah, most eligible bachelor in in the universe, yeah. and and you know I think got around. Yeah, uh, the idea is that women, women women would women would throw themselves at George Clooney, right? Well, so I mean, listen, I don't, I swear to God, I don't know who said this. <laughs> I'm I feel sorry, like it was I'm sorry. A, now I feel like I've put you on the spot. No, it's fine. We can just edit I this just, out. It's we're like, not going to, but we could. Uh, I imagine, in retrospect, as I'm thinking about how I heard about this or who said it, that it was just like. Those dudes from the Kevin Smith movies. Oh, see, I was the stoner thinking, dudes. I was thinking it was uh, it was like the guys from the um, parking lot in Say Anything. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> Similar yeah. idea, right? Yeah, but it's right. somebody like that, right? Right? And, yeah, yeah. So whoever it was said, "Oh, so oh man, it's all about the Clooney." I was like, "What's the Clooney?" And he's like, "Well." It's when so you're hanging out with with George Clooney and then you know all the ladies are gravitating over towards you like Cheerios because he's so handsome and you know but he's only one man so he can only field one incoming you know lady and then there's all the leftovers or two, or two. maybe two I don't yeah, know I'm not, not going to comment on depends his on how much no he's a classy he guy <laughs> and I'm wow. actually genuinely saying that okay. and, I'm sure that's true and so. You know, so, but the joke, whatever, is that so then whoever there is like they, you know, they're all they get the amped run, up. They get the runoff. Yeah, they're all amped up for Clooney, but he's kind of <laughs> taken. So then they're just like, well, who's this guy? Right. But you, you're hanging out with him. So right. Yeah. You're like in his a little crew. Bit of the halo. Yeah. Kind of just is, is shiny. <laughs> yeah. You get, you get bathed in the light of the halo right. essentially. So I'm sorry. This is a completely, we went completely off topic. We were talking about Dread Pirate Roberts. Pointless. Yeah, and his identity. Oh, Tor! I'm oh, sorry. God's the sake. Re- the you were gonna t- <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so Tor, what is Tor? All right, so Tor is a um, cryptographic. I mean, software protocol. Which, for the Onion Router, which I'm saying right? because I don't know exactly what that means. Well, the Onion Router. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah the, it is. For. It's short for. It's an acronym for the Onion Router. Uh, the onion refers to layers and peeling and whatever, and yeah. so somehow via layers and some technological wizardry that I don't understand, it allows you to – it basically masks IP in computer communica- communication. So <laughs> You can tell there's like – we're getting into the – into the place where your technological <laughs> yeah. know-how. It's like, you're, like, it's, wait, you're, like, you're like walking into like, the pool and you're getting into the place where it's like, starting to get to yeah. your chin. Yeah, I'm like, like, oh, yeah. it's, 
Yeah, I mean, I know. No one really knows how Tor like a, works. It's, well, it's the wizardry. No, people people do know. But now, packets. Tor, Tor plays, it's all about the packets. Yeah, Tor, Tor plays a central role in the story. Right, I mean, it is, so, okay. is the method so by Tor which. Was, yeah, Tor was developed by the Navy, that much I know. And it was meant for clandestine communication so that it couldn't be tracked, you know, by right. foreign you governments, hear, whatever. Right. And so then it became uh, public and open source and available to all. Whose idea and was that? I don't know, actually. But you can be sure that they profited from Silk Road <laughs> in a way we can't begin to understand. Right. Yeah. It was all plotted by the, the 33rd right. It was all high, yes. <laughs> I don't think we can. I don't think you can argue that this is all part of a massive global conspiracy. Well, the symbol for Tor is an eye with like light shooting out of it. <laughs> is that true? Kidding. No, <laughs> <laughs> that is of the dollar bill. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, oh, so um, technology. <laughs> so listen, here's the deal: Tor, the uh, secret protocol. Well, public protocol for secret communications. Yep. Allows you to create a site like Silk Road so that a million, you know, eventually there are a million registered users uh, and vendors and they're transacting and communicating and having, creating this global marketplace for mostly drugs. Uh, so it was actually, uh, you know, there was all these different categories. What are, what, are, what are some things? Were there things that were just legal on this on Silk Road? Yeah, you know what's kind of funny is they would, there also, some people would just sell like some old clothes, like it was eBay. <laughs> or like, I have an Xbox game I'm trying to get rid <laughs> exactly. of. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was like, and then there was some prepper stuff. It's like, who wants, you know, like a case of hard tack yeah. and some distilled water. Yeah. There were there were categories and That's there was cool. some lingerie. There was a friend of mine, as, get- a, as a weird art project, I discovered later, she was like, oh, I had been sort of cataloging weird ordinary items on Silk Road. That's amazing. What an amazing – see, that to me is I, – I mean, I just, it just popped into my head, but I thought surely there are people who are like – who love the ideal of Silk Road, the kind of – the concept around it, mm-hmm. this libertarian ideal of we can, you know, kind of fuck the system by sure. going around I, the system. I, I'm sure that there were sort of like they just straight edge Xbox Silk games. Roaders, right, who were people that weren't necessarily interested in the drug trade right, or even – Personal drug use. I mean, some obviously a lot of the users are just random people who are like, I, feel, I want some mushrooms. But I think there were probably people who were just committed to the idea conceptually. Yeah, you know, I feel like now in like 10 or 20 years, Silk Road will return as kind of like it'll be like a cartoon version of Silk Road where it's like a widget on your TV. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yes. And it's like for buying and selling stuff, but it's this kind of like funny, soft version of Silk Road. There are uh, sort of successors to the Silk Road, which was shut down. Yeah, they've been Silk Road um, 2.0s. Yeah, there's a, well, that was shut down. That was kind of a Joker scene. Yeah. And then I think there was like a <laughs> like, 3.0. I don't respect, you don't respect Silk Road I'm 2.0. Not into two, yeah, 2.0 was like no. those, were, those guys were kind of half-assing it. Right. Um, I don't know if you saw the picture of the dude. <laughs> I mean, I feel bad laughing. This guy's going uh, to prison. Go but on. Like, I mean, did you see? It's like no. a, Blake Benthal is the guy's name. Did anybody see? The picture, just look it up. What Whoever's listening, Blake, just, just Blake, Google, Google that guy. Blake Benthal? I think that's his name. Just like made, it's like a made-up name. He's like the third. He's like <laughs> Dread, Pirate, Dread Pirate Roberts 3, essentially. Right. Um, that didn't work but, out. I mean, that whole scheme didn't work out because the idea was that you could pass this anonymous identity. You could Anybody could occupy the, the identity of Dread Pirate Roberts, which was the – which is how it is in uh, Princess, Princess Bride, Bride. Right. Which is – that's the origin of that character, correct? Yeah. 
is, so far as is I know. that movie. Yeah. Is that a Mel Brooks film? No, that's who uh, did, who Rob did? Reiner. Oh, Rob Reiner. That's is it? Right. Well, I don't know why I'm looking to these. Why, do you guys know? <laughs> they, don't, they have no idea. Actually, I have no idea who made that movie. We should, we should find out. I don't know why I said Rob There's Reiner. There's no internet in this room. They made us put our phones on airplane mode. Yeah. So we don't know. Um, this is like this is like actually when I think about it, what we're doing in this space, we're li- we're in a we're in a whole we're in a kind of a sphere. It's like well, it's like a time machine. Whatever like before the in, internet. But whatever happens in here, like we're doing radio, like the yeah, shadow. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> like the shadow. Like my grandfather listening to the War of the Worlds broadcast, uh, yeah. which he did. The shadow was, uh, that's the who knows what lurks in the hearts of men. Is that the shadow's yeah, tagline? Yeah. 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 Uh, we, and um, now we know they want to sell uh, drugs on using Tor. Well, that, well there was this, this was an inadvertent thematic digression, but I will <laughs> say that that is essentially the, the story of the Silk Road is kind of the this idealistic a uh, sort of entrepreneurial venture, which was enabled by technology and worked very well and was very successful. I mean, the, uh, d- uh, the, there were over a very short amount of time, a lot of transactions. It's hard. People sort of tried to place a number on it. There were a lot, the thing that you would see in the press was a billion dollars in sales, but that's right. based on a Bitcoin valuation, very high. Oh, well, that's, it can't be trusted. Well, it's not even that. It's just like at what point are you valuing it? Like the day he was right. arrested, it was worth. I'd say all the transactions would have been worth, you know, maybe two hundred million dollars. But then after he was arrested, it was much higher, right? Because Bitcoin so, fluctuates, but it was like rapidly significant, right? right? And so it was very successful. And but what happened was rather quickly, the idealist behind it, who turned out to be a guy named Ross Ulbricht, who was a twenty-nine at the time year old physics phd kind of a talented science uh uh whiz kid from he was grew up in austin uh and he had gone to penn i think or penn state oh jesus christ i forget always which one you wrote it i wrote no i mean i just read the article on wired.com to learn more yeah but anyhow go ahead i just always forget which college is which but it's um, very confusing so he was he uh well he went to i think he was in dallas for undergrad then he went to uh, pen for grad school and then he kind of dropped out because he's like I want to just create something myself sort of as you know we're in the second internet boom this entrepreneurial era <laughs> all the scientists are dropping out to create some kind of like yeah. you know their own startup or whatever it's so weird I mean he could have made anything I mean he might have made like well, Snapchat yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well what's interesting is so he he moves back to Austin and he created a couple of other Businesses which failed um, and which were not big visionary ideas, but he had this idea and it started off kind of small. I mean, it was like this homemade thing. He wasn't a programmer. He just kind of made it himself, but he's smart enough. He's very smart. So he knew sort of even via his like autodidact programming ability how to set this thing up. And then it grew very fast, and it basically grew so fast, and and seemed to validate the idea and the power. And he was prob- and you know, he was somewhat of a he's tall, handsome, built kid, like charming, whatever could get mm-hmm. the ladies. You know, was like totally, kind of a clone, kind of clone tank situation was, with him. I mean, I don't, I don't even. He didn't even need cloning. You know, it's like he's got his own tank. Yeah, he's, <laughs> the Ross tank. Um, Ross tank. Yeah. <laughs> Right oh, on. Perfect. Oh. Okay. Anyhow. So um so he what happened was he basically the the site started. There was no sort of official leader, although he had created the site. 
that was just a system administrator, which was kind of perfect because it was sort of like the system uh, where there's a basic set of rules that you just administer the system is kind of like the libertarian ideal, right? There's no government. There's no right. – and so the this kind of digital marketplace turned out to be a really good representation of this sort of distillation of a libertarian idea. But then what happened was – I mean this is the flaw in libertarianism is like <laughs> if we all just did our own thing, it would be perfect. Yeah, except until there's the first guy who's like, no, I'm the leader. <laughs> you know, right. It's like it all works until somebody's like, actually, I've got the guns and I'm in charge. <laughs> or right in real life, right? Because um, suddenly you know you learn what laws are for, right? Well, you, you want like some libertarian paradise, like it's, you go to Mogadishu where there's no government, and you're like, oh, it's great until the warlord shows up and is like, I'm the guy hey, with the know, guns. You know, that's just how it is in a in a free and open uh, space. <laughs> yeah, can, it's perfect. It's like everybody's got be. guns and there's no laws. It's a libertarian. Paradise. It sounds like it sounds like a dream. Um, but I, no, but so then online, like this idea is like uh, the libertarian idea is like there's a system that's the ideal, and then it's but but actually there really is somebody who's making the rules and is running the thing. And at a certain point, he's sort of said, no, uh, there's this idea needs a leader, and I'm the the leader, and I'm and he sort of christened himself Dread Pirate Roberts. And at that point, Silk Road had a kind of, you know, cult of personality and this, you know, evangelist and this leader. And so it was good to build the community, but it also sort of sowed the seeds of the destruction of the community because at that point, the system became his system. And then that was, you know, led to the demise of the system because he became sort of the despotic type of ruler that it was all articulated against. He's like, I want to, you know, create a world outside of government and this tyrannical leadership. And then he became a tyrannical leader himself. Right. I'm gonna. I want to take a break, and then okay. <laughs> what? No, I wanna, this is a good pot point to pause. All right, kind of an amazing point. I'm gonna take a break, and then we'll be back uh, to talk more about this. All right. Wait. So, uh, can I sign up for Squarespace with a code name that is my name, Joshua? Yeah, but no H on the end. Oh, right. You spell it. I spell the traditional, the, the way. traditional uh, biblical way, yeah. and you've got an extra age for no reason yeah. that we know. I know why it is. Why? Why? Because my mother was like still high from the epidural and just filled out my birth certificate wrong. <laughs> just threw an H on there. <laughs> I don't know. It works. Yeah. It works. I think it's a challenge to know if there's an extra. If there's an it extra, makes it Googleable. Is there something a syllable there that I need to? My mother was really interested in uh, SEO. Um, it's advanced theories in 1971. <laughs> right. She was like, how could, how could I ensure that my child who has the same name as millions and millions of other children in mm-hmm. the, from the seven days, cause it was a very popular name for mm-hmm. like 10 years. It just had a run. Uh, how can I make him distinct? And she added an H on the end yeah, of your name, which is very it. smart. Uh, you know what else is smart? Squarespace. Uh, it's simple. It's powerful. It's beautiful. They have 24 seven support via live chat and email, but not telephone support. So don't try calling. Don't even think about no it. No wonder I can't get through. That's right. I use Squarespace. There you go. I mean, take it. There you have it. Josh Behrman, famed author. Let's drag and drop. WYSIWYG. Listen, this is great. No, go, I mean, it's, on, no, yeah, it's no, really I mean, handy. Yeah, it is handy. Yeah. Uh, it, it's only $8 a month, and you get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for the year. They have responsive design, so your website scales look great on any device. Uh, and you know, it's fantastic. I mean, look, it literally, I'm, this is not, un, you are unprompted praising Squarespace. I think that is evidence that it's a wonderful product and it is, uh, you can start a trial with no credit card, 
uh, right now and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code Joshua, no H on the end, just J-O-S-H-U-A, old, the old regular style Joshua. Vanilla. To get, to vanilla Joshua. <laughs> to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for our podcast. Thanks, Squarespace, for your support of tomorrow. Squarespace, build it beautiful. You do whatever it takes to make sure your business runs efficiently, like uh, my guest, Josh Behrman. Uh, but constant trips to the post office can get in the way. With Stamps.com, you'll be able to spend less time at the post office and more time growing your business. Uh, Stamps.com makes mailing and shipping easy. Use your own computer and printer to buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter and any package. Stamps.com does all the thinking for you. It's like a, it's like a robot, an artificially intelligent robot inside of your computer on a website. With the digital scale, it will calculate the exact postage needed, and it helps you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. Join over 500,000 small businesses, Josh Behrman's included. Is that right? Well, that's what that scale is. Yeah. That use stamps.com and never go to the post office again. When's the last time you were at the post office? Not for a while. That's right. My assistant has stamp. We use this. There's a scale. She measures things. You finally know now what the scale is. Yeah, I was always wondering. Where did that scale come from? Yeah, I'm always trying to put it away. You try to get rid of the <laughs> she scale. She like puts it back. Uh, I like put it in a closet. Well, she needs it to get well, to weigh the postage. Now I'm realizing. Well, listen. Uh, maybe she, she is sending me something right now with stamps.com. Uh, well, right now you can use my name, Joshua, my first name, not no H, unlike Josh's name, which has an H. For this special offer, you get a no. It's a no risk trial, and you get a hundred ten dollar bonus offer, which includes a digital scale, as mm-hmm. we've just heard about, yeah, right, and up to fifty five dollars of free postage. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Joshua. That's stamps.com, and enter Joshua. So uh, we were talking about the tyranny of Mm -hmm. Dread Pirate Roberts uh, as he took on sort of a a leadership, solidified his leadership role. Mm -hmm. Uh, across the Silk Road community. Yep. So what was his undoing? Talk about his undoing a little bit. I mean, I don't want to ruin part right. two. Is it out yet? It's not out yet. It's coming out tomorrow from today recording, which means... Oh, well, so actually this will be, this will air on Monday. So we'll It'll have, be out by It then. will be out. Yeah, you could read the whole thing. Because, uh, yeah. And and you made available an early version to me to check out, which, oh. I, which I have not read. Yeah. We can edit that out if you want us to. <laughs> that's fine. No, you're uh, press. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, press preview. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, but I, I didn't finish the first part, so it all worked out perfectly. What strikes me about your writing on this, and, and I don't know how you do this, because I, I have never written a piece like this. I'm not a, I'm not a guy who writes features. Uh, I've written some very long articles, but I wouldn't describe them as feature stories or cover stories, you know, and, and or enterprises. Some people might describe them, um, but you you sort of assume what the character in your story is thinking, mm-hmm. and and maybe this is really pedestrian and stupid to ask, but like I don't know how you do that. I mean, as a as a person who's edited a lot of people, like I certainly have edited things along those lines, but. But how do you get into a state where you're writing about this and you feel intimate enough with the subject matter and with the characters in it that you can kind of put yourself in the mindset of the characters in in sort of real-time events, like in, as things are happening? Does that question make any sense to you? No, no, no. I know exactly what you're saying. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, that just comes from like super intense, detailed reporting. So in any case where the voice of the story – 
is essentially internal voice of a character, uh, which happens a lot in that story. Yeah, because it's very personal. I mean, because the characters are very strong, and this is a very complicated story, and sort of a lot of times, uh, a lot of times more effective than dialogue, the voice in the character's head. A lot of times that's something they just said, right? So it's like, I'm not sure what you're referring to, but, you know, the story opens with this guy, Curtis Green, who was a Silk Road user, and then... Forum moderator. He created the Health and Wellness Forum. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you got to read the story because that's amazing. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, you'd field all these inquiries. People were like, should I, should I shoot heroin in my eyeball? And he was yeah. like, no, don't do that. No, yeah. I think, I think like, that's can, one you could probably figure out. Yeah. But you know. well, the other one is like, can I, can I inject peanut butter? That was one he said. You can't, like, can't. The answer is no. <laughs> I don't want any liabilities <laughs> here. I think, I think um, just generally speaking, if it's a food item, don't inject it. I think that don't probably, shoot it into your veins. I think probably the answer that entire forum, the answer is just no. <laughs> you have to imagine. <laughs> what about jam though? <laughs> yeah, so I know case, peanut so, butter is no good, but jelly. Yeah, right. Probably like, okay. or preserves. Probably okay. Uh, so so Curtis started that, and then he got elevated, and he was hired by DPR to, um, you know, deal with sort of um, customer service stuff, resetting passwords, and I think some. You know, dealing with customer support tickets and stuff like that, right? I mean, it was like work right. like any other. Be- no, right. The best thing about these kinds of businesses, at the end of the day, it is actually a business. Yeah, I mean, the guy's sitting there for like somebody's like I got eighty hours a week in. in his in his like barca lounger in uh, Spanish for Utah. He lived. He was Mormon. He grew up in this Mormon little town outside of Provo, which is outside of Salt Lake. And uh, but he he had been a he was a very very dedicated um, opiophile, <laughs> um, and uh, like painkillers. Uh, yeah, I mean well, he had been on disability. Oxycontin. So yeah, he knew he knew pills. So Curtis gets arrested eventually. Yeah, it's a this, dramatic as a gambit. I mean the the sort of opening he, of the story. Is yeah, that was a that. fun. That was a fun lead. Yeah, in the in the biz we call that the lead. <laughs> You know, it was hard to figure out exactly how to start that story, but and that's in the middle of the action, right? That's not the beginning of the narrative, but yeah. it kind of sets everything up because you've got Curtis, who's this sort of unlikely figure. using He's like a big user of the Silk Road, and he's like this Mormon grandpa uh, in Spanish Fork, Utah. So he's sort of like in the middle of middle America and all this stuff. So you kind of see that it could be anybody on Silk Road. The DEA and this whole SWAT team, this whole task force bust in his house. So you kind of see the government, you know, trying to get him. And then he uh, gets arrested at the end. So he has taken delivery of about a kilo of cocaine, (laughs) Um, which he claimed he didn't know was in there. It's a little bit confusing, whatever. And then he eventually winds up cooperating, which is part of of the story. But, um, but, you know, I, you know, we talked to... Uh, and I say we because the story I wrote the piece and reported a lot of it, but I also worked with Josh Davis, who is my partner in Epic Magazine. Yeah, which I want to talk about. Who is a great, minute. you know, he's a ten-year-long Wired contributing editor, a great reporter and writer, and then also Stephen Leckart, who is also a Wired alum and documentarian, and does all this stuff. So it's an enormous story. So we were all kind of reporting different parts of it, and then. Curtis, first of all, he loves talking. So he, I mean, it's like 40 hours of tape with that dude. He's talking so much. It's all transcribed. 
And so you kind of distill it down, and after you spend enough time with him and the material, you know, you get a sense of the character, and you can say, you can kind of speak on his behalf in the words that he's used. It's just like writing technique to make it feel like, I wanted this to feel like a nonfiction novella as opposed to like a magazine feature. Well, it moves, it moves, it moves like that. It just is action packed. I mean, every bit of it, even the backstory is, feels like it's just got like a tremendous amount of movement. I think that's true for a lot of your writing, but they don't, and I think that's why they translate. I think that's why Argo makes so much sense as a film because it translates really well, um, but, but what I was, what I thought was interesting is, so it's basically you're just absorbing this. You're talking to this guy. You're looking. You're talking to the people around these moments, right. and you're kind of just feeling out like what would have been in his mind at that moment, or even what yeah, he said. Yeah, well, was it's in his what mind he said, and also you do right. get a sense. Of, I mean, you spend so much time. I mean, put this story together. On and off was when we started a year and a half ago. I started really outlining and seriously writing six months ago. Yeah. So about six months, you know, and then I was reporting with the FBI and the DEA in particular, which were sort of the, those are the big components for about a year on and off. So it's like you spend so much time, you can only do what that, what is in that story, the way it's written after spending so much time that you can kind of feel it. Otherwise, right. like. But you you're know, immersed in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so l- let's talk a little bit about um, Epic. Epic Magazine, sure, uh, and and your idea about it, and just sort of in general. I mean, we're we're both uh, in, in in really different places, but we're in a, a similar. We're in the same industry, right? Which is the sort of the news industry, the mm-hmm. media industry. Um, uh, I tend to be on the more breaking sort of minute to minute, day to day stuff, and at the Verge. You know, a big a sort of our big one of our big parts of the mission was doing big long form features that became mm-hmm. sort of the order of the day a couple of years ago where everybody was like long form stories are really important but you're, you're hashtag of, long form hashtag long form but you, but 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 you know in long form is really just another word for f- a feature story or a cover story just like um you know this has existed in magazines forever um it is the, right. the lifeblood of the best magazines but you know it was a, a new idea on the web a few years ago that people were like wait a second maybe people want to read a 5,000 or 10,000 or 25,000 word story mm-hmm. um but it's it, there's a lot of noise, and there are very few writers who who uh, who can carry off, who can make you sit in front of your computer or on your phone or on a tablet or in a magazine for that matter and read the twenty thousand yeah. words or the ten thousand words or whatever. I think you're obviously one of them. Um, but exp- so explain epic because that is sort of taking coming at that from a from a different little bit of a different angle. Sure. Uh, if you want, if you we don't yeah. have to talk about. I it. mean, all Epic is is it was pretty. Uh, I mean, there's a lot. Well, it's many things, I suppose. <laughs> it's a lot uh, like it's a lot like Silk Road. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's an idea. It's all things, all people. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. It's already curdled into tyranny. Epic is a digital publishing. So it's like all right, yeah, like uh, online uh, long form became a. I don't know, not a trend, but just like uh, there was there was a realization that um, counter to the conventional wisdom, which was that like everything's getting shorter, Twitter, 140 characters, blah, 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 and like content is dead. It's all about the platforms. Then those platforms started becoming these uh, enormous, you know, user bases that were then um, acting as 
vectors to content, right? So all of a sudden, like, you're looking at Twitter and everybody's pointing towards, like, here's this great story in right. the Atlantic Monthly or whatever. All of a sudden, people, the, the uh, contra- like, I guess, again, contrary to expectation, those platforms created a new market, like reader market, as it were, for all these types of stories. So people started saying, oh, let's create some, you know, like obviously the New Yorker and the Atlantic and the Times Magazine and Mother Jones and Washington Monthly, whatever. All these right. kind of existing magazines are still making their stories that are online and people are reading those. But places like The Verge, places like uh, outfits like The Atavists, uh, Amazon, Kindle, Singles, Grant, all these Grant things. Land. Grant Land. Yeah. was like, let's, you know, we can do this type of reporting and writing, you know, originally online. And so... Uh, Epic was just uh, that same idea, except focusing really specifically on super narrative nonfiction, uh, which, as I've described in the Silk Road case, is uh, like takes a long fucking time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like really challenging. Yeah. So, um, but that's basically the idea. And then you know, I think I mean we've only published I mean, this is like the third story because right. we have a lot of stories right. in the works. We've been sort of at it for a while, and also doing all this other. We're like working on documentaries and film and TV stuff, whatever. There's all this kind of like ancillary uh, well, that was when, kind of market when, when stuff. Epic, when Epic sort of appeared, the part of the idea was, and correct me if, and tell me if this is not still part of the idea, but it was that you would um, provide a home and a proper presentation of these stories in sort of like the digital realm. Yeah. But that there would be a, a sort of vehicle to take them because the logical, and what really happens quite a bit, and in fact, I mean, if you look at most... Um, popular film and television not all of it but a lot of it is based on magazine stories magazine stories uh uh and i mean it's a shocking number of like the films that you know are oscar winning films and and you know argo is a great example but um the idea is that you guys would provide a vehicle for writers saturday night fever based on a true story based on a new york magazine story that's right so there's a there's a tr- there's a history of this, but also there's in recent years there's a no, desire it's accelerated. for like like fiction it's nonfiction is like, truly is truly yeah the stories are richer and deeper yeah. and weirder than anything that fiction could actually produce and that people are producing right. in some ways and so it's become a real um, pool to dive into for these people making frankly film and TV right. entertainment entertainment for to the such masses. a degree that you know the New York Times is represented for its editorial content by ICM. So when they have a yeah. crazy story, ICM is like, oh, this is cool. Let's shop at his movie. Right. Conde Nast now has Conde, an in-house sort of department, Conde Nast Entertainment. Yeah. I think... Fox has a deal uh, with WME. Yeah. So there's, this is kind of what's happening. There's a stuff. Um, it's, 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 very, it's a very sort of common thought now that yeah. there's a clear path to this. But Epic, yeah. early, I think relatively early, there was just sort of saying, this is obviously this is going to happen. Right. Well, I mean, that's how I had been as a writer. I'd done a lot of narrative uh, stories for the most part since Argo. We, thereafter, that was my first real big kind of I mean, national magazine story. I had done, I had written already the story that kind of led the way into King of Kong, which was a Harper's piece about Billy Mitchell, the yeah. uh, our, the beloved villain <laughs> from King of Kong. But it actually had not run at that time. But so Argo was that that was that first story. And then I started doing all of it. And that's the kind of thing I like. It's just these weird, unusual stories, big characters, like unusual settings, whatever it is. And then I realized that those, the things that I was interested in and the way that I was writing them were both, you know, rewarding for me to write in print or now online also uh, and also were the types of things that 
Hollywood was interested in. So I started working both sides, and I was, you know, sort of have one foot in each world, basically. And then that's what enabled me to to do magazine writing, because it's not, you know, a real lucrative business, writing magazine stories. That's right. And the Silk Road story, which and takes a, a say, story, six months solid. I was going to say, a story that takes you half a year or a year to actually do. No, if it was just the magazine fee, even if you're getting paid some, like, Michael Lewis, Malcolm Gladwell money, it's kind of, it's like, oh, it's kind of worth it. Right. It's only really worth the time if you know there's movie money which is like an order of magnitude right, george clooney more. calls you yeah if clooney calls <laughs> right. and then even then still it's like kind of hit driven and you got to get lucky every so often right so i was doing that and you know uh having a like a an okay time at it and right. then uh, josh davis is another writer similar big narrative stories doing the similar thing right and so then after our group, we're like oh let's put this outfit together because of this digital you know sort of like Nonfiction craze. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it was. If people don't remember. Yeah. It was you know two years ago. Yeah. Everybody was long form this, long form yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> it was like everybody's like super into like the the twist. Yeah, and then the mashed potato. The, the long form, and then long form it was right after that. <laughs> um, uh. And so <laughs> we were like, oh, let's do that, and then also kind of make an institutionalized version of this idea where we can do magazine stories and then movie stuff. And so that's basically the idea, and that's still going. We have a deal. The 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 uh, Epic has a deal at Fox for film and yeah. uh, Fox Twenty One and Twentieth, which are the TV versions at the same in the Fox family. Right. right. And um, and then we are we also are doing some documentary stuff and whatnot. But um, it sort of has paid off. I mean, a good example I think would be the Silk Road story because I wrote that story before we sold it to Wired. Right. So it was like. Kind of on spec, which right. is you just like does not happen in the magazine world. Which right. I did actually my last story too, which also was twenty five thousand words long. That's the Coronado High. The story. Coronado High yeah. story, and like you write it. That's not a story that would ever get assigned in a magazine. They're gonna be like, yeah, sure, go write twenty five thousand words about this sixties. Uh, well, uh, most awesome smuggling. magazine ever, and also <laughs> yeah. the longest. Yeah. So I mean, it would have at one time. You know, the New Yorker used to run right. whatever forty thousand word stories right. every week, but um, in multiple parts. But so. I was able to, with the Silk Road story, write this piece, which also is a very unconventional format. It's like there's like kind of chapters and different character perspectives, and there's tense changes in it, and it ends on a short story by Edgar Allan Poe, which you don't know because you haven't gotten to the end yet. But like, uh, spoiler alert, I guess. Thanks <laughs> a lot. It's so like, much for that pleasure. <laughs> yeah, there's like a nice literary grace note. I'll, now, on I'll the never thing. know. I'll never know what it feels like to experience it for the first time now. It's Thanks. still going to get you. Well, we'll see. It's still going to sneak up on you. <laughs> really? You're going to be like, oh, my God, how did he do that? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to experience that. <laughs> no, but it's like it was a really fun thing to write, and it would be it would have been hard in an assignment scenario where you're kind of being guided. And in right. this case, we're going to be like, oh, no, here's this thing, and we could sort of present it. And, you know, and my idea had been to run it in two parts – once I realized, like, kind of the scope of it. That's what you're doing. And that is what it's running in two parts. Yeah. So it's so like a cliffhanger. You're the dream realized. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize that right away. But was, you, but so you wrote it before you sold it to Wired. Is that right? right? Yeah. And then, but, but, but prior yes. to, is that correct? Yes. Did I just hear you say that? Yes. Okay. But then prior to that, you did a, a movie deal. Is that correct? The mo- well, it's an odd. This is an odd scenario because we already had our deal at Fox, and Fox was like, "Hey, man, the Silk Road story is cool. You guys should do a thing on it." We're like, "Okay, right, sure." Oh, so and the movie, so, the, move, the suggestion of a film predates the actual writing of the story itself. 
Well, it's like all in the same day. It was like literally the day he got arrested. Yeah. The day Ross got arrested, yeah. every magazine in the country was like, and magazine writer of that kind was like, got to do a story. Right. Every film studio had some producer on their lot that was like, got to do a movie about this. Right. And so we happened to be a magazine outfit with Josh Davis, who is, you know, the star writer at Wired. And his last piece was the big, that big story about McAfee losing his mind and in the jungle. So, uh, and we had this deal with Fox. So it sort of really made sense. And in fact, it was the story originally began kind of centered around the fact that Josh had this, you know, that was like that type of writer. I don't, I don't normally do this type of writing. Right. And, um, and then over time it became more my story because I started, uh, I sort of wound up with this breakthrough in the reporting. And, but so it originated that way. Right. And actually I'm not, I wouldn't, I would not want to do that again, although I'm very, happy that the story turned out this way right. and I'm happy with the story and it really pushed my creative boundaries and I'm, you know, it's like exciting to publish. But I wouldn't have wanted to uh, be stuck trying to write, I've always like written a piece and then sold it, but it's not, like let's say we hadn't gotten the reporting breakthrough, right? And we hadn't actually had the story entirely, we would have been kind of screwed. Um, <laughs> right. So I don't, I don't like... Uh, You'd have to fake big, it. You'd have to make some stuff up. Yeah, I mean it would have been not a pleasant uh, <laughs> position, exactly. Uh, so... Um, so in that, so it's an odd scenario that I wouldn't repeat, but it actually worked out because we just got just, like completely the inside the story. The story turned out really good. The story turned out good, and like, but also in the reporting. I mean, it's like it's, it was completely lucky that I was able to get in the perspective of the law enforcement agencies that had been trying to track down right. Dread Pirate Roberts because these this is a, this was this is before the trial. This is before and there's right. another right. pending indictment. I mean it's like law enforcement is not in the habit of talking to the press. Right. About no, I mean cuz the timing of this is actually it's sort of uh, did you have to did, did you have to hold it until the trial had wrapped? Yes. Okay. Uh no. I mean we didn't hold it. <laughs> well, uh yes and wildly no. divergent <laughs> answers. <laughs> Just so you know. Um but I mean well, the story came following Okay, uh, the, well, uh, what I mean is I we yes in the sense that we I knew that I couldn't uh, publish the story before the trial, but I didn't really start writing until uh, right before the trial. So it didn't matter anyhow. No, the reason <laughs> <laughs> the reason I didn't. Write, I mean, I had it all. I had an outline. I had all the characters. I had all the research. A hundred hours of tape, whatever it was. But I knew that the trial would probably change, kind of the the public perception of the narrative. So like right. going into the trial, there's like government is saying, here's the guy and the defense and the sort of anarcho libertarian hacker or cypherpunk. I guess cypherpunk is kind of a dated term. No, that's cool. Um, it sounds it. cool, but I've <laughs> yeah. just recently discovered it, it means something specific that doesn't exist anymore. Oh, really? But any that community <laughs> uh, and the free Ross, you know, crew and the, mm. and the, and, and the defense, which was making a sort of, you know, kind of a public case, uh, had built a big sort of, you know, like a conspiratorial idea around like, well, who is DPR? The handle could be anybody. And like, so there was a mystery, right? Right, right. And I knew that there was no mystery because I had already seen all the evidence and I knew. Right, you didn't need to be, you were a jury of one and the, <laughs> and the verdict was guilty as charged. I mean, look, man. <laughs> Just so I understand. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of all there. Exactly. And black, black and white. Well, not to be glib about it, it is very serious, and the 
you know, a guy's going to go to he's in prison. Yeah, he's yeah. going to get a sentence soon. But yeah. you know, and I had to really think oh, that's about not your like, fault. All the, no, it's not my fault. You did put him there. I didn't. He he did it all himself. Yeah, and it is very, very. I mean, it's like the evidence was like completely overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, in law enforcement and the, the prosecutors, like you don't get a case where it's like the originator of the criminal conspiracy recorded every single decision, right? Because it's all on the server. You can see everything. It's like an enormous naivete about that whole, but the whole thing. I mean, his whole, his, the belief that, that he was sort of in this. Well, he believed in his own mythology. Right. That right. the Dread Pirate Roberts got, got high above, on his own supply. He got, yeah, <laughs> right? he did. I mean, his, like, his like, his like intellectual libertarian ideational supply is right. like he, right. you know, he got lost in it and he, I mean, I mean, it, 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 I feel like there's there's a there's a secondary layer of this story, and and I mean, I think you touch on it in the in what I've read thus far. But that that there is this, um, you know, this criminal mastermind of the internet was sort of done in by like the same bullshit that like cr- that is that is destructive in many other parts of the internet, which is sort of this almost immature ideology. That, yeah, you know, like a kind yeah. of underdeveloped ideology that is brandished right. in a way that's so it's taken it's taken so seriously and right. thought of as so meaningful. But in the real world, in in the on the internet, to the people who are buying into it, it feels very meaningful. Right. But right. in the real world, somebody figured out your IP, right? And you're just a guy who's selling drugs, right? Or like helping people sell yeah, drugs, right? And yeah. your ideology has was not a protection at all, and would, right. would never be a protection no. from that. I mean, and it got so far that you know, at the end, the guy's saying like, "This is uh, Silk Road represents like the next stage of evolution of mankind." You know, like I mean, it's like really, uh, a really, dumb, really what grandiose. A dump if that were true, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> like, what a bummer. I know. So well, we'll be able to just sell heroin whenever we want. Well, he's like the Silk Road is like you know it's 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 carving out an economic zone free from government, and it's going to be you know I mean a lot of the Bitcoin enthusiasts still believe like oh right. in the future there's going to be no territorial jurisdictional fiat currency blah blah blah. So and so, right, just what so, the devil wanted. <laughs> Read your scripture. Check it out. Check it's it. in the Revelation. That's right. Uh, it's right after the horny. I'm not horny, but the horned, the <laughs> seven horned headed, demon, seven-headed dragon. He's got seven so heads, on, maybe yeah. fourteen horns, whatever. Success. Um, so, wait, what the fuck are we talking? I don't know. I don't know. We have to wrap oh, soon. Just I, so you know. okay, yeah. No, look. So this guy. <laughs> well, um, this will be continued in part two. I'll just the, say of the interview, obviously. You know, and it's in the story. This is important because I think you're right, though, that there's a there's a key thing here, which is like. And the story's in two parts kind of for this reason, both because, like, the narrative trajectory has this cliffhanger and it's like a rise and fall story. And in the rise, you know, it's like, here's this idea. It gets traction. It takes hold. It gets bigger. It's exciting. Dude is like, look what I did with my one computer, and I don't even know programming. Right. That turned out to be a problem later. And um, <laughs> You don't say. <laughs> so then, you know, at the height, he's like, oh, well, look at this. Like, my – this validates everything I said. Like, and so the narcissism of, you know, a person who believes they're going to change the world suddenly turns into, you know, the despotism of somebody who thinks they have changed the world. I mean, it's like the classic revolutionary right. parable where, like, the idealist becomes an ideologue and then they're like, oh, man, my idea is so good. That I gotta shoot this guy. <laughs> you <laughs> and know? next thing you know, 
you're a horrible dictator. Yeah, yeah. I mean, which is kind of how all all of the all of the great revolutions ended in yeah. sort of like a dictatorship. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I really thought about it because like it was like I was trying to think about a revolution besides ours, America's America, the best did not country. Tip over, sorry, the U.S. And you know, I've, I think there are some. Well, not yet. Of not yet. Give ones. us some time. I know, but it's interesting because a couple, because it's couple like, more dread pirate Roberts in the mi- in our midst, <laughs> and who knows what'll happen? They, right. They're gonna like the they ignite the fire that burns down the whole. The well, whole no, thing. but the thing is that the revolution eats itself. Yeah. So it's like it would have been like George Washington is like, all right, man, it's time to build some gulags. You know, but that didn't happen, right? And I, think that, I think that bears out the, the quality of the ideas, like the high quality ideas that were put forth right. during that particular that revolution. Time. Yeah. That's we kinda, true. We found a couple of good there were a couple of really Some solid ideas, ideas yeah. that were not focused on a dictatorial and in fact they were yeah. sort of an affront to dictatorship. Right. Right. Well, and you could argue And George and, Washington did not get high on his own supply. Although he did Farm hemp, I think. Uh, yeah, right. I'm not really, not really sure. I, know, I think he was flossing his wooden teeth with hemp. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's so right. He, I think he did get high on yeah, that Yeah, probably did. Probably got a little high. But you could argue, and I think some people do, and I would to some degree, that like actually those ideals are being somewhat undermined by the surveillance state and you know all these things, uh, you know, the modern sort of like the NSA and the torture and all this stuff that are actually contrary to the those ideals that Washington, yeah, I would agree with that. Washington held. And so, so a lot of the Silk Road ideologies like articulated against that. The problem is that they're like, we don't like your system. So we're going to make our own system. It's like you, the problem is like one system just replaces another system. And right. that's and this, <laughs> right. and you know, it's like you're always like, oh, we'll just like it's like a But their system it. was way way less thought out than the current system. Well, right, and it was also completely vulnerable to be taken over by one person, which it was right. by Ross, the right. creator who became, you know, at a certain point, the visionary leader, and then was the dictator, and was like. This is the problem with any system based on a technology that can be um, appropriated, right? Right. I mean, it's you're, you're yeah. at risk always that has an administrator account, right? You're at risk always of somebody getting <laughs> the admin account yeah. and just like deleting stuff, yeah, right, or whatever, right. changing the rules or changing the system. Anyway, I think that's a good place to leave it. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Uh, That is the podcast for this week. We'll be back next week. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. But dark times are ahead. So take shelter. 